On September 11th, 2001, our American way of life was attacked. Everyone remembers where they were that day and how their lives changed from that moment on. The American Legion is committed to honoring the memories of those we lost on 9-11 and in the global war on terrorism that followed. As part of that commitment, the American Legion Tango Alpha Lima podcast presents a special series, 9-11-2020. 20 episodes in the 20 days leading up to the 20th anniversary of the attacks that changed the world. Each of the 20 guests delivers a unique first-hand perspective on 9-11 and our nation's response. Here is one of those remarkable stories. All right, so today we're joined by Mark Otto, who will be talking about his 9-11 story in our continuing series uh, of 9-11 stories. He's a native New Yorker and is the sixth member of his family to serve our country in war. As a U.S. Marine, he served from 1988 to 92 on a five-man intelligence gathering team, and he was forward deployed to the Panama invasion, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and covert counter-narcotics operations on the U.S. southern border. Otto transitioned from the military to Wall Street, where he recently retired from a successful 27-year career as a trader on the New York Stock Exchange. Otto currently serves as president and executive director of the United War Veterans Council, where he acts as lead organizer of the New York City Veterans Day Parade. And he is the founder of the UWVC's Health and Wellness Program, which is dedicated to healing at-risk veterans through holistic, therapeutic, and social fitness outings. Otto serves as a volunteer leader in several veterans organizations, and he is a member of American Legion Paris Post One and is past senior vice commander of Post 168 in Red Bank, New Jersey. Otto has represented the U.S. veterans community overseas at the Queen's Birthday Celebrations in London, and he has hosted a presidential visit and been received by the President of the United States at the White House. So, Mr. Otto, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me on. Let's get, let's get to the uh, to the big topic here, which is again as we look at the 20th anniversary of 9/11. What can you what can you tell us about uh, your day on that day? Yeah, it's so strange how how your memory gets jogged about different things. So ironically, it's the 20th anniversary for my wedding anniversary this year as well. Wow! So um, on 9/11, I'd been married. We we're newlyweds. We were married uh, just a few months. My wife and I were both trading assistants on the New York Stock Exchange trading floor. And we lived in Westfield, New Jersey. So uh, it was a typical day. It was a Tuesday is another thing I remember. We used to take the train in from New Jersey into the World Trade Center. And uh, on the first floor, there was a shopping mall. So I always remember it was a Tuesday because Sam Goody's back then, you have to remember, you know, this is 20 years ago. They got their new deliveries of DVDs and CDs every Tuesday morning. So we used to just sort of duck in there. Uh, see what they had, and then we'd continue on to the trading floor, the NYSE, which is about three blocks away. That morning, we were a little late, so we just sort of breezed through Sam Goody's, and uh, we were through Zuccotti Park, which is like right when you get out of the World Trade Center. It's right there, and uh, we had just hit Broadway, and we were going to walk the next two blocks to get to the exchange, and uh, that's when we suddenly heard something, and you have to remember, like now, Broadway's sort of quiet because it's post 9-11, uh, but back then, it was busy with hustle and bustle and traffic and people commuting to work. So there was a lot of noise. But it was enough noise that everyone stopped in their footsteps and looked up at the sky like, what's going on? So the other thing I remember about that day is uh, it, was, it was a beautiful day out. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. It was very sunny out. So everyone sort of paused and then just kept doing what they were doing and heading back to, you know, going to work. Uh, so on the way to work, right when we got to the doors of the stock exchange, we overheard people start talking about, you know, a plane hit the World Trade Center. 
and we're thinking like, you know, what's going on? Somebody was like learning to fly and they took like a little Cessna and, and clipped the building or something like that happened. And we got down to the trading floor and you have to remember it's 20 years ago. So there's no smartphones and textings and news alerts and all this stuff going on. Everything was word of mouth. So we got down to the trading floor and there's TV sets everywhere and the news was on. So we're watching the one tower burning and we're like, holy, holy crap. That, that's much bigger than, than some small Cessna. That's, that must've been a big plane that hit the building. And then I vividly remember it takes about seven seconds for when something live actually happens to when you actually see it on TV. So we're standing there on the trading floor of the New York Stock Exchange and we're watching the first tower burn on TV. And then all of a sudden, the entire stock exchange shakes like an earthquake is going on for about 10 seconds. And within that duration of time on the seventh second, right across the front of, of our television screen, the other plane goes right through and hits the other building. So we were already feeling the effects from it, but then we saw it on TV. So everyone was sort of like shocked and like totally puzzled about what was going on. It was about that time that my military training just kicked in. And I was like, we're, we're now in sort of like this seer type situation where it's time to escape and evade. I was like, it's a beautiful day out. Two planes just hit the World Trade Centers. There's no way that this is some sort of a kooky coincidence. This is a terrorist attack. And we are now standing on the next biggest target in lower Manhattan. And if they can fly planes in the buildings, what's to stop a suicide bomber from running into the New York Stock Exchange and taking out the whole financial industry? So... Um, my mission for that day became getting my wife home safely. That was all I cared about. So uh, I told my wife, you know, take off your smock. We're going to get out of here and we're going to head north and get out of this area. So uh, first we sort of paused. We got over in the area of the World Trade Center uh, by the Millennium Hotel, which is like right at the foot of the, of, of the towers. And we watched them burn for a couple of minutes just in shock of what was going on. And then uh, we just started walking up Broadway with just thousands of people were just walking up Broadway. Some were in the middle of the streets. It was almost like a zombie apocalypse movie. Everyone was just had these blank stares on their face, just walking north to get out of downtown New York. So that by that point, the smoke, the debris was flying everywhere and everyone's just heading north. And again, there's no, there's no like uh, smartphones or news alerts and that kind of thing. So you're just getting word of mouth as you're walking along and asking people. And uh, a lot of the information was, was wrong information that day. People were talking about, you know, other strikes hit other parts of the world. And, uh, you know, we were all just like taking this in, like, holy, holy crap, this is getting bigger and bigger than just what's going on here in the city. So we were about in Greenwich Village, which is now Soho. And um, we were talking to a police officer, getting some information. And we looked back and um, that's when we actually saw the first tower collapse. We watched it with our own eyes. And everyone just sort of shucked their heads like, oh, my God, this this is the craziest day ever. And we just continued north. We ended up getting to, you know, along the way, we're trying to use the, the pay phones to call my in-laws. And um, after about the sixth pay phone, we actually got through them. And we were able to tell my in-laws, hey, you know, Jen's with me. I'm going to get her home. Everything's going to be OK. So I reassured them. And then we just headed north because, again, all, uh, the cell phone towers were all down, too. So even if you had, you know, your unsmart cell phone, you, you weren't getting through on anything. So I was very grateful that we got through them. They relayed the information to my parents. So they knew that we were on the move and we were heading home. We got about to Times Square and we started hearing about, you know, people were taking boats across to Jersey. So we walked all the way across to the west side. And, uh, and sure enough, we, we jumped on a ferry. We were part of, you know, 
what is now the largest boat evacuation in mankind's history. They evacuated 500,000 people off of New York City in nine hours that day. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, waiting on this long line and there was no tickets. They were just like, just get on board. And, and people were saying, you know, where are you going? They're like, away from here, just get on board. <laughs> and uh, we, we, we crossed the river. And at first, everyone was, you know, jubilated, you know, you were getting out of here. So there was like cheers of joy. And we're crossing the Hudson River. So then we start heading a little south. And by that point, we looked where the World Trade Center was and the other tower had gone by that point. So there was just um, smoke smoldering everywhere on the river. And, you know, those, those cheers of joy were quickly silenced and everyone was just, you know, grasping the reality of what was going on around them. Uh, we got across to New Jersey and we had to walk, walk a long ways because apparently they dropped us off in Weehawken and we parked in Hoboken. So it's a couple miles walk down the river. And uh, when we got down to that area, there's sort of like this hub area where the trains come in and the ferry launches as well. Uh, so people were in that area and there, there was uh, first responders on, on uh, megaphones saying, you know, if you were in the area of the World Trade Center, come over here. So we ended up going over in that line and uh, we ended up getting hosed down by firemen with fire hoses. Again, because they were worried about, you know, what if there was something in it? What if it was a bomb or it was some sort of chemical weapon or whatever it was? Uh, so we got hosed down and we were drenched. And then uh, we ended up getting back to our car. What normally takes about 45 minutes to get, you know, to and from the city back to where you live in Westfield took us six hours that day. And, um, Again, that happened on a Tuesday. The other thing I remembered when we got home, uh, we, we were constantly getting calls from the New York Stock Exchange about, you know, when we're going to light up and go back to trading because, you know, everyone was dealing with all these issues of, you know, so many of the firms that were on the trading floor of the New York Stock Exchange knew people that were brokers or their customers up in the World Trade Center. I had friends that went to dozens of funerals in, in the weeks that followed. But we all realized that, you know, we, America has to get back on its feet, right? So um, it was important to us all that, that we got back to work because we were the financial hub of America. And if we didn't open the doors to the New York Stock Exchange and get things going again, um, you know, it would delay our country sort of bouncing back. So it was the following Thursday that we uh, actually went back to work on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, there, there was like one train line that went south um, below Canal Street and if you didn't have your, your, your NYSE badge on that day, you weren't getting in the building. I give my wife a lot of credit. She came back to me. Uh, she came back with me on the floor right when we actually went back to work. And you have to remember at that point in time, no one knew what was going on. No one knew if there was going to be more terrorist attacks after that. Everyone, you know, a lot of people were frightened for their lives about going back to work. And uh, a lot of people were apprehensive. But in the end, we all realized it was important that we all got back. So... Uh, we jumped on that one train, saw a lot of familiar faces. We got down down to uh, the stop that, that uh, lets you out right near Wall Street. And there were barricades that went right from the mouth of the train station, right down the block to the, to the front door of the New York Stock Exchange. And uh, in this little corridor, all there were, were were reporters, SWAT teams, National Guard, and cameras everywhere. Um, when we got out of the subway, there was also like this yellowish haze that stayed down there for months. And we're walking along and it's like a war zone because there's still debris. There's like paper flying through the air because all debris is flying over from ground zero, which is just a few blocks away. But I remember when I got out 
of, of that train station for the first time and we were walking through that corridor first i thought you know good lord the last time i was in a situation like this i was in desert storm when we liberated kuwait like going through the streets and i had a weapon on me and boy i wish i had a weapon on me at that point but um the other thing that i that i remembered back to my military experience was desert storm uh with the highway of death and all the carnage that happened from the bombings in desert storm it was just that you know gruesome familiar smell of death in the air there's there's nothing like it and um unfortunately that that smell lingered for months if not the whole entire next year so we got down on the trading floor and shortly after we reopened uh, one of the bell ringings a few days later was rudy giuliani the mayor of the city you have to remember at that point in time he was the calm person in the storm who brought the city back and I'll never forget, you know, all my friends came in. A lot of them were like, you know, carrying American flags. Everyone came back to work to the New York Stock Exchange, a few thousand people, just because they realized, you know, it, it's up to us. We have to get the country going again. It's our responsibility to make sure that the economy carries on. And yeah, we're going to take a punch right now when we open, but we have to come back. And really, Rudy Giuliani said it best. He's like, this is New York City. You don't come into our house and knock us down and not think that we're going to actually get back up. And uh, when he rang the bell on the stock exchange, it was unbelievable. A couple of thousand people huddled under the balcony of the NYSE, which is this iconic you know, institution that had been around since 1792. And this was the first time the NYSE is only allowed to be closed for three days in a row. This was the first time in its history that it was actually closed for more than a week. So when we all came back humbled under the balcony, I just remember them ringing the bell and everyone was just cheering USA, USA. And at that point, I just sort of realized, you know, this is horrific, but we're going to come back. And we did. Wow. That is, that is a compelling firsthand account right there. That's, I have seen the video of the stock exchange that day and it is, it must've been amazing to be there, but it really was. Ashley, I, I will uh, allow you the first hack here. Well, I have goosebumps. There were just so many parts in that where I just vividly like felt like I was there with you as you're sharing your story, Mark. I, you know, what, so I guess my question is, and I'll back up a little bit. So when you finally got to your vehicle you said that you were in your vehicle for six hours, what would have been normally a 45 minute commute what were the radio waves saying at that time? What were, was there silence between you and your wife? Was there like, I'm just, I'm curious about those moments where you're just in gridlock traffic, which all of us at some point have experienced, but that's a different kind of, you know, hurry up and wait. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious as to how that time spent with your wife in your vehicle was. Uh, yeah, it was, um, it was really strange, especially, you know, um, that entire next week and then some from the Tuesday to the next Thursday, getting back to work because you were trying to just digest everything that was going on. And we we're just, you know, listening to the radio. And that's when we did start hearing reports about what happened down in Washington with Flight 93. And, um, and then also it, it had proven some of the things that we had heard were not actually correct and hadn't happened, like things that were going on. Um, and were rumored to have happened overseas. So in some cases, it was uh, a bit of relief. 
in other cases, when you hear about like Flight 93 and what happened down there in Washington, you're like, wow, this is bigger, you know, and, and, and uh, of course, everyone wanted to know uh, who did this to us and, um, and what, the, what was the U.S. going to do? And, um, you know, that, that was just something that, that became, you know, part of our lives was, was just trying to digest information and gather as much intelligence as we could about what was going on. But yeah, there were, there were a lot of lapses where, where my wife and I, like, um, it was just quiet because we were both in our own minds just trying to digest this whole thing. Um, I think the big thing for us was just getting home, reconnecting with our families, letting them know that we we're okay, letting a lot of our friends know that we are, we're okay and we survived. Absolutely. That's so powerful. And, you know, I ask, cause like you said, there's just that moment when you're inside your own head and you're yeah. digesting all, you're taking in all of this information. And you know, what was that moment? Like when you finally like opened your front door, like, was there a bit of sense of peace where you just still like, I, I need a drink. I need a cup of coffee. <laughs> I need my bed. I need all of these things. Like what was, what was that first moment like for you and your wife? Yeah, you know, I'm remembering back to like, you know, we, we got back, we had an apartment and uh, we were still wet, right? Because we got yeah. watered down with fire hose. So first things first was like, you know, I just want to take a shower and just sort of wash this whole thing off me. Um, so, so I think that was like sort of the first thing that went through our minds. And, and then it was just starting to call folks and let them know we were okay. The stranger thing, like, like you had mentioned, um, the traffic jams and that kind of thing. When we finally did go back to work, it was like months that there was no traffic. So again, it was like the zombie apocalypse because nobody was going into the city, right? So the only people that were going in, uh, you know, you basically had to find a way. And, and much of that turned out being driving into Hoboken and then taking, you know, what train lines were open to get downtown to, uh, to the stock exchange. So that was sort of strange in itself. But, you know, we'd leave the stock exchange and there wouldn't be a car on the road you would just drive all the way home for the next couple of months in no traffic. It was really eerie. It reminds me of the scene in I am legend yeah, uh, where he's just, he's driving. Right. Of course, yeah. like that's a very like far out kind of sci-fi version, but that's how I, that's how I kind of picture in comparison to like what you're describing to me. And I just picture yeah, like right. Will Smith, just taking it all in. There's just him. And then there's just desolate, just quietness. That's you have to like imagine kind of this, like you're driving on the highway on the Pulaski Skyway. And as you approach New York City, every morning, the first thing you see would be ground zero burning. Right. Wow. So every morning you're greeted as you as you approach the horizon is, is the smoldering, you know, um, what was the World Trade Center is in the air. And that smoke was just coming out of there like a smokestack for, for many months thereafter. So uh, every day your morning started like that. It was just like, you know, I can't, it was just disbelief every day what was going on. And then uh, with, with the weather patterns and the wind, uh, we were about 45 minutes away from New York City. And over time, like that smell from, from ground zero even lingered across to where we lived. So it was like, you never really escaped it. Wow. That's incredibly powerful. I'll, I'll turn it over to Jeff. The longest he's ever been quiet, I might add. This is, this is patient Jeff Daly you're seeing right here. Yeah, don't get used to that. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting because we're actually got goosebumps. I, of course, being in Hollywood, and I've said this several times in the series, uh, it, it feels like a movie scene, a lot of that, especially when you talk about the New York Exchange opening 
and people saying USA, USA, USA. And we've had other guests who, who have said things like September 12th was one of the better days for this country. And that uh, we took a rare opportunity to unite and, uh, and put aside our petty bickering and come together as a country and as humanity because we had bigger things to talk about than uh, a school board tax to argue with your neighbors about, right? So the, so the, country, the, the New York Stock Exchange led the way, it, it sounds like in healing, um, but uh, capitalism heals faster than people. And if, which brings me to my question, I always get there. Uh, you, started a, you started a foundation that helps people, that helps people heal this weekly health and wellness program for at-risk veterans in 2017. Uh, it says there was a little time separation between 9-11 and doing this, but I'm guessing there are links. Uh, you're, you're doing equine therapy and art therapy and social fitness and sailing even. Um, can you talk about how that started, what your motivation for that is, and how you see the contrast that I tried to describe, how uh, organizations and structures heal compared to how humans heal? That's a, that's a great question, Dumbledore. Um, yeah, so, so there is a connection. So, um, you know, as you know, I, I fought in Panama and uh, Desert Storm both before, you know, my 22nd birthday. Um, one of the things, first off, that, that, I, that I also want to say is that, yes, you're absolutely right. It takes longer for people to heal. But there's two moments in my lifetime when I felt as though America was the most patriotic. Uh, one was when I got home from Desert Storm, the ticker tape parade, Canyon Heroes, flags everywhere. But you're right. You know, like September 12th, all of a sudden, you just saw a sea of American flags flying out of everyone's homes. And there's this sense of everyone wanting to help each other and look out for one another. Um, as a result of what happened there, of course, the global war on terror starts basically the next day. The first troops deployed to Afghanistan with Task Force Dagger on October 7th. So um, afterwards, I, I, uh, I got on board with the New York Stock Exchange and we started a, a veterans outreach committee. And uh, I was co-chairman of that committee. And uh, we started sending care packages to troops overseas. And then uh, from there, I was like, you know, what else can we do? And I started bringing veterans on the trading floor to sort of show them, you know, what you're defending. You know, this, this is America. This is capitalism. Our country started here. You know, the, the capital of our country was across the street on, at Federal Hall before it actually moved down to Washington. Uh, so I started bringing hundreds of veterans and veterans groups on the floor. Um, and then on top of that, you know, we started this veterans committee and we started having an internship program for post 9-11 veterans trying to transition to get jobs on Wall Street. And I started mentoring them as well. So uh, through that, I learned by their experiences and some of them opened up to me because they came from like special operations backgrounds about some of the issues that they were dealing with and, um, you know, with post-traumatic stress and that kind of thing. And uh, that's when I actually pieced together that I had been dealing with post-traumatic stress all those years since, since, you know, the wars. And it probably wasn't the best thing in the world for me to go down to a trading environment where 5,000 people yell at each other for a living. Right? <laughs> but, um, but through that, I was like, you know, I have all these assets, what else can I do? And that, that's what really um, triggered me to, to begin 
um, what, what has evolved into me working at the UWBC. So I, I started joining different veteran organizations, uh, the legacy ones like the Legion, the VFW, other ones that were post 9-11, like Team Red, White, and Blue, I'm a leader of, and, 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 and others beyond that. Um, but my focus was like, how can I help people, especially these veterans that are coming home as a result of 9-11 that I lived through? And, and that's, that was the motivation to start the United War Veterans Council's uh, health and wellness program. So, so it was interesting because when I started all this work, I was doing it as a volunteer, aside from my work on the stock exchange, I just kept going. So I only, I only retired last year after 27 years on the stock exchange. Um, but for about the past, I'd say about 15, I've, uh, I've been doing volunteer work with veterans. So I reached a point where I, I no longer felt like, um, you know, I wanted to continue on with the private sector and I wanted to go full on with just helping, you know, veterans and devoting my life to that. So that, that's how I, I started uh, with volunteer work. And then I built my portfolio up and then I had the opportunity to be in, uh, on the advisory board of the VVC and then vice president and now I'm ED and, and president. Um, but once I got to that point, I was sort of giving, given the torch and said, okay, it's your turn to lead. What else can you do? And, and that's when I realized I now have all of these assets and I started making these connections. I was the first veteran to go through the equine program for post-traumatic stress um, while I was still going through the same um, treatment through the VA. So uh, from there, uh, it just seemed as though all these people by, by you know, call it what it is, a coincidence or, or fate just sort of dropped into my life organically. And I met the people that run the sailing. I met the people that, that run the art studio and, and all these pieces started coming together. And I live down here in this beautiful area, the Navasink River area in New Jersey, which is about you know an hour south of, uh, of Wall Street. And um, in this area, you know everything's co-located. So these two veteran rehab centers in New York City that each house 45 male veterans. Um, many, many of the veterans that are coming through the program are post 9 veter veterans. Some go all the way back to Vietnam, though. So we do every era. Um, but it's been going on for five years, every week on Wednesdays. Um, everyone else has just jumped on board from my community that's been incredibly supportive of this. Um, like John Bon Jovi's Soul Kitchen, uh, you know, the rock star. Most people don't know his parents were both Marines, and that's how they met. Uh, so we actually go there for meals, and his dad comes out. Mr. B comes out and talks to us. John's actually met with the veterans. Uh, so we're getting that type of impact in our community and everyone wants to support. So uh, what started out, you know, with, with taking veterans out for social fitness and doing these rock marches and that kind of thing has really evolved into something I, I, I just didn't think about in the beginning. And that's, it's been community building. Well, that's, well, that was, uh, that was the answers that I was looking for. And then some, uh, and I, I, I appreciate all the work that you do and, um, and, and I, I really appreciate and empathize the various, the various experiences that you've, uh, endured and you've, you've come out, you've come out of it as only a Marine can, uh, oh. used it and put it back in your toolkit and used it to help other people and carry on the mission. So, um, uh, good job, Marine. Thanks a lot. So uh, if someone uh, listening to this wants to get in touch with you or wants to find out more about United War Veterans uh, Council, where should they start? Um, you can go to, you can find us at uwvc.org. So remember, United War Veterans Council. So it's uwvc.org. Um, so, so we're on Facebook. 
we're on Instagram. Um, we're also on LinkedIn. You can, you can connect with me on LinkedIn if you, if you'd like to, especially if you want to do something with a health and wellness program. Um, but just remember, so this year also the parade is on November, November 11th, which is a Thursday this year. Each year we have a featured service branch. This year it's the Air Force. And we also do commemorations. So, so the, the um, commemoration for the 20th anniversary of post 9-11 service is going to be one of the things we highlight. And the other one's going to be the 30th anniversary of Desert Storm. Wow. Well, that's great. Mark, we couldn't appreciate your time more. It's, uh, it's a heck of a story. And it really uh, is it's good to, of all the stories we've heard from people all over, it's nice to get another firsthand one of something that was actually there. So we very much uh, appreciate you joining us today. Thanks. It was an honor being on. I appreciate your time. Great. All right, everyone else, remember to subscribe to Tango Alpha Lima wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever. Uh, while you're there, don't forget to review and rate us. We, would all, we always love to hear your feedback. Please comment on YouTube or Facebook, or you can send us an email at tangoalphalima at legion.org. Mark, thank you. Jeff, Ashley, I will see you next week. Everyone else, see you later. Good